You're listening to a podcast from Hicksville Cornerstone Church. For more information about the church, visit us at hickscc.org. That's H-I-X-C-C.org. Thanks for listening. There was a lighthouse on the shores of rough seas. And men and women volunteered to man the lighthouse. The seas were so rough that once a month they would have to man the lifeboats and rescue ships and rescue ships that were trapped within the sharp rocks and the reef. To be a lighthouse man or woman was a great honor, especially in a society where many lost their lives as they saved stranded sailors. For generations, the community risked their lives for the sake of others, and the lighthouse's reputation grew and grew. After a few generations of putting up pictures of crews of years past on the walls, it became commonplace for people to join the lighthouse for the purpose of being part of great honor. They would join as members, but they would not go out on the rescue boats. Instead, many of them would begin to throw lavish parties and would gather together weekly to talk about the exploits of lighthouse men and women of years past. Soon the walls of the lighthouse were adorned with things like rafts and anchors and sails and other boat regalia and their own pictures. But after a generation, they stopped going out into the waters altogether. They were too concerned with what was happening within the walls to concern themselves with the lives that existed beyond them. What it meant to be a member of a rescue team had completely changed in one generation. Today we're talking about membership. And I'm going to make the case for church membership, a case for biblical church membership. Now, if you've been around the church very long, you know that there are churches all over this country that have membership logs that are hundreds of people long in which 20 butts sit in the pew on Sunday. Their membership logs don't really mean much. And I can promise you that's actually not biblical membership. You also know that there are churches that don't seem to make a very big deal out of church membership. I think there's cultural reasons for that. America loves our independence, our autonomy, the idea that we can do things all by ourselves. We love that. So why submit to church elders? Why be a member of a local congregation when I can be free to chart my own course? And some people will go as far as saying that church membership is not found in Scripture. And they will be right. A church membership form is not found in Scripture. It's not found in any of the appendices of your Bibles. The vows of being part of a local congregation are not found in Scripture. Church membership is assumed in Scripture. Church membership is assumed in Scripture. It's not found. We won't be standing today for a scripture reading because we would be up and down way too many times as we looked at the text of scripture. This is not a sermon that exegetes one passage, but takes multiple passages to give clarity to an overall concept within scripture. So today I'm going to make a case for membership. 
I'm going to pull from the text the expectations it puts on the church. And then finally, I'm going to give you practical applications for it in the end. I'm indebted in this sermon to three men in particular, Tom Rayner, John Piper, and Matt Chandler, for their work on this subject as I prepared this sermon. So let's get right into it as I deal with the text of overall scripture. Why would I say that church membership is assumed? Evidence one is that church discipline exists. This is found in Matthew 18, 15 through 17. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence or two or more, two or three witnesses. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to who? The church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. I'll be doing a whole sermon, maybe two, on conflict within the church in August. But Jesus is clear here that there is an authority outside of ourselves that we are to submit to. He makes it clear that if we engage in sin, our brothers and sisters are supposed to call us out in love. How beautiful. How great a relationship to have someone who loves you so much that they call you out on their on your crap. I hope we all have a friend like that. With the purpose, what? Of reconciliation. There is hope of unity in all the steps, even in the midst of potentially casting someone out. This is a function of the church. Church discipline, you're going to see in other texts, is one of the reasons your elders were elected by you for. For your holiness and for your protection. I'm going, to, I'm going to give you an absurd yet true story of what happens when this is not done and the purpose for it. This is, again, an absurd yet true story. I once visited a church in a small town, even smaller than this one. They only had one light, okay, in the middle of town. I got to the point of the service where I met the people around me at church. Two families sat behind me. One in one row, one in another, and something felt off. You know how you meet people and like red flags immediately go up? There's something weird here. So I met one family, met the dad, nice to meet you, and I introduced myself to the other family. They didn't have a dad, but I said, nice to meet you too. And after service, my friend told me that the dad had just left his first family and started shacking up with another family, divorced his first wife, and brought this new family to church and ended up sitting right in front of his old one. And then when I asked my friend, what did the pastor do about it? He said, nothing. Y'all don't know who I wanted to punch more in that moment. The man who had committed open adultery against his spouse and flaunted his new family every Sunday to his old one. Or the pastor. If I end up in jail, y'all will know this is one of the reasons why. Okay? His friends should have pulled him aside at the church and said, Brother, repent. 
You can't cheat on your wife. It's a sin against God and a sin against your family. Stop it. And if it continued to do so, he should have had two friends that went and said, Brother, repent. You can't cheat on your... You, I'm preaching to the choir here, hopefully. And then if that still hadn't happened, it should have been addressed from the pulpit. And he should have been removed and barred from coming. Can you imagine the trauma his ex-wife experienced every Sunday? But it's such a small town that she didn't feel comfortable at any other church. And while she received hugs from her friends every Sunday at church because she knew the pain that she was going through, her elders lacked the biblical calling to deal with it. Church discipline exists. If you continue, I love you all. To the point to where if you cheat on your wife, I will call you to repentance. And if you don't repent, if you continue in your sin, the Bible tells me I am to cast you out. It's not my choice. The Bible says it. You are no longer a part of us. So you see, to be apart from us, you must at one time been a part of us. See how it's assumed in Scripture? It assumes that someone is part of the church, that they're connected to the church, that they're submitting to someone. Evidence two, excommunication exists. It's just not a Roman Catholic thing. First Corinthians 5.12, For what have I to do with judging outsiders? It is not those inside the church whom you are to judge. God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Same concept as before. What are you purging the evil person from if not the church? They are part of the church. It's assumed. Three, submission to leaders. Let's look at the whole gamut of Scripture. I just went New Testament here. We can look at Old Testament. We'll just look at New Testament here. Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. As those who will have to give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. First Thessalonians 5, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and they admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. First Timothy 5.17 let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and in teaching. How is this leadership and submission going to work if there is no membership defining who has made a commitment to be led and who has been chosen by leaders? If we downplay the importance of membership, it is difficult to see how we can take these commands to submit and to lead seriously and practically. It's why the office of elder is held such importance. You as a congregation get to elect elders that you choose to be of good character and of sound mind. That there's clear fruit of the spirit in their lives. You choose them. That means they are hopefully trusted by you because you submit to them and they submit to your calling of them. See how there's mutual submission 
And in perfect unity, when it's perfect, when it works well, I submit to them too. When I am doing something dumb, your elders know it is their job to call me out on my sin. I submit to your elders. And I am so thankful for the men you've selected. They are wonderful, godly men. They're wonderful, godly men. And when crap hits the fan, I'm so thankful they are there to deal with me with it and walk with me through it. And as a member, you're called to submit to them as you submit to Christ. And if all of us are submitting to Christ, if all of us are dying to self, then to use the analogy of the lighthouse, we won't care where we are on the life raft. We won't care if we're the captain or the oarsman or the person jumping into the water to save lives. We are fulfilling the purpose given to us by God. It's mutual submission. It's all over scripture. Evidence four. Who is the flock? Who is the flock? It's mentioned all over the New Testament. Acts 20, 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Elders are, are, are of course, called to love the community. No one's denying that. To love their neighbors. That's what elders are called to do. But there is a special relationship given between elders and the flock that they are in charge with. 1 Peter 5, 2, and 3 gives us an even more exact picture. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. The phrase, those in your charge, assumes that there are those who are in your charge. It assumes it. Look, if John Smith, over at the Catholic Church, commits a sin against Jane Doe at their building, it is not my job to discipline them. It ain't. It's not my job to go talk to John and figure out what's happening between him and Jane Doe. They're part of another flock. Look, but if Faye Sitton keeps keying my, someone's car here on a Sunday morning, right? I got, I, I, she didn't know it was coming. I got to go talk to Faye, right? We got to have a really awkward and direct conversation. Stop keying Zane's car. Can't do that. Right? She hasn't done that. But I, as her shepherd, have to love her enough to call her when there's blatant sin available. If you're engaged in blatant sin in the community, I am charged to speak with you about it. Not because I hate you, but because I love you and I desire the Holy Spirit to transform your life. You see, the Holy Spirit desires transformation. You live in the image of God. When we sin, We fall into the raging waters of this world. And the church is called to offer rescue, even if you jumped out of the boat on your own volition. It's our job to offer rescue. Did I just leave this? Check one. Let's keep going. Hopefully it'll... If not, is that the handheld? Yeah, batteries.
Yep. Deacon nominations are this month, by the way. (laughs) Evidence five. Evidence five. The metaphor of a body. We've gone over this a lot over the six months I've been here. It's like it keeps coming up. For just as the body is one and as many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, So it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we are all made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Not one member, but of many. The original use of the word member is a member of a body. It speaks of unity within a group of people. Now, there is something, let's be real, unnatural about a person who attaches himself to a body but has no part of a body. That's a parasite or a leech. But we're called to be part of the body, not just along for the ride. So what is a biblical member? There are two types of members. One is a member of a lighthouse that has a purpose and a mission outside the walls of the building. We're going to be looking at the mission of the church next week. The other is a member whose purpose and mission only exists within the church walls. It's the difference in seeing the church. Do you see the church as a group of people that goes out into the community and lives life and is the church the whole entire week? Or do you see the church as a building that you attend on Sunday morning for an hour? Where, you know, when we're in the building, we still use images of bringing salvation to the world, but we never actually engage in it. Take the idea of a country club, okay? I used to love going to my grandfather's country club, okay? You had to wear a suit jacket, right, when you went in. And if you didn't have one, they gave you one. One Thanksgiving we went, and Grandpa forgot to tell us, so I was wearing a jacket. I think it was 12 at the time. Way too big for me. My mom thought it was adorable. I did not. I just clumpy, but the turkey was great. You know, at the end of the day, that's all a teenage boy cares about. Now, Grandpa was not required to be a member of his country club, even though it was in his community that he lived in. So one day, being a curious grandchild, I asked him, Grandpa, why are you a member of the country club? And you know what he said? For the perks. There's perks. The country club restaurant was fantastic. I'm, my mouth is watering as I'm saying that out loud. It was so good. Only members and their families could get in. Thank you, Grandpa. Golf was cheaper, if you were a member. Fitness club, members only. You even got to rent a room and throw a party if you were a member. It was a nice room. Had a fireplace in Florida. I don't know the purpose of it, but there was a fireplace in the room in Florida. You even got discounts at the club shop. 
Remember jackets, pins, ball caps? It's what the kids call swag. You can ask them when you get home today. Ask any teenager. He loved being a member of the club. And many Christians view this about church membership. It's for the perks. Suddenly membership becomes about privileges. It becomes about other people serving me. Tom Rainer, in his book, I Am a Church Member, says this. Just pay the going rate and you can have others take care of you while you enjoy your life of leisure. Now, this is not our church. I know that. I've been here six months. I am preaching to the choir here. Most churches, less than 10% of the congregation engages in volunteer ministry. That's the national average. We are well above that. So I know I'm speaking to the choir here. But we need to at least be aware of the pitfalls that the American culture sells us on what church is. Because many people go to church for the perks. They do not go to church to die to self. They go to church to be comfortable, but not to be transformed. Unfortunately, this comes across most often when people complain about church. Think about it. This is my church, so you have to play the music I want. Hear that? Hey, pastor, remember who pays your salary. I've been a member at this church for 25 years. I can do whatever I want. I don't pay good money to listen to sermons that are that long. You get the picture. And while those words will never be uttered in from this congregation, inside these walls are out. I can promise you they are said out loud. In all over churches this Sunday morning. Because church has become membership about perks and good feelings. It's become, as I've used the term over and over again this series, a define commodity. And not a lighthouse with a mission. So what's a biblical membership? What is biblical membership? I talked about it when we talked about a fellowship of difference several weeks ago. We are different, but we are still together. It's the body analogy from 1 Corinthians 12. We are a part of a body. We're not a leech on the body. A leech can pretend all day I'm part of the body. No, you're a bloodsucker. And you might be good for taking out a virus or two if I hold to some of that witchcraft. And um, it's not witchcraft, shall I? Okay. But it's there. Two, we base what we do on the biblical foundation of love. I want you to read, if you get the time, I always set aside, I have specific books I read on the Sabbath just to make Sunday more important to me, more enjoyable. But I keep referencing 1 Corinthians 12. Read 1 Corinthians 13 this afternoon if you get the chance. There's a reason why the body analogy of what it means to be a church member is immediately followed with the most quoted verse at weddings. 1 Corinthians 13. Because it's all about biblical love. Our membership is all rooted in unity. There's a reason it comes immediately after when describing the church. It's how it describes love. It isn't the way our culture does. It's not the way our culture defines love, which is a feeling, right? Love is a commitment. Love is a commitment. 1 Corinthians thirteen seven. Love bears all things. Believes all things, hopes all things, 
endures all things. What love says, biblical love, it says I'm with you. Even when I disagree with you, maybe especially when I disagree with you. Tom Rainer says this, we are not to love fellow church members just because they're lovable. We are to love the unlovable as well. We are not to pray for and encourage our pastors just when we like what they're doing. We're not to just serve the church when only serve the church when others are joining in. We are to serve the church even when we are alone in doing so. Church membership is a steadfast love. It's a steadfast love. Last, we do our part. Do you know your part? Do you know what part you play in the expansion of the kingdom of God? Do you know what your purpose is as a part of the church? Doug is going to be doing a Sunday school class this fall on spiritual gifts. If you don't know your part, his class on spiritual gifts, I would encourage you to attend. We will also be doing evangelism, discipleship, fellowship groups on Wednesday nights during the fall. We're going to be announcing more about that in the weeks to come. So if you've never shared your faith or you're not comfortable at it, I hope that you choose to attend those on Wednesday nights. If you do know how to share your faith, let me know. Um, you can lead the class. The light, why is everyone laughing? The lighthouse. When I, was, when I lived in Texas, my name kept coming up to potentially be a church planner in the community that I was living in. Our church was in Frisco. We lived in Little Elm, which was the ugly stepsister to Frisco. It's where they put the riffraff. And I loved Little Elm. I loved it. It was a boating community where we were on a lake. Our town logo was literally a sailboat. Someone from being from Florida, it felt a little bit like home. Um, and I knew if I were to plant a church in Little Elm, what the name of the church was going to be called. It was going to be called Lighthouse Presbyterian. It might be some reason why all this stuff in the lobby suddenly has a nautical theme. I couldn't get rid of it. Because I think that's such a good reminder of what we're come here to do. We come here to bring glory to God and to be transformed, not to be entertained, not to receive perks, but to be filled and reminded that we're on mission every week. Paul Tripp says it best. The Christian life is not a call to be comfortable. It is a call to be transformational. No one ever says, I had the easiest year ever, and I learned so much. No. Over and over again, it's during what is hard. It's during conflict. It's during the hot forges of life that we come out stronger. With more wisdom and, ironically, more peace. It is during the hard times that we figure out what is important and what is not important. What is worth saying and what is not worth saying. Who God is and who he's not. And who we want to be and what parts we want left behind. God does not call us to be comfortable. He calls us to be transformational in our own lives as we grow with him and 
in the way that we interact with our communities for their betterment. We get to love Hicksville and be transformational in our communities. What a great calling. We'll talk about that more next week. If you haven't noticed yet, the information desk that we have outside is part of a World War II ship called the SS Ernie Pyle. It's a reminder. It's there to remind us that we're on mission, that we are a church not just for an hour on Sunday mornings, but the whole week. And we encourage one another here to be on mission, to be the church in the midst of the storm. So, are you a member? Are you willing to be committed? Are you willing to submit to the elders of this church and be disciplined by them and to be discipled by them? Notice that word, how close that word is. It's for a reason. Discipleship, discipline. Are you willing to publicly declare that you will be shepherded by those God who is put in charge of your care? And are you willing to use your gifts to be part of a body with many members? Church membership is a blood-bought gift of grace. More than most of us realize. It's life-sustaining, it's faith-strengthening, it's joy-preserving means of God's mercy to us. I urge you not to cut yourself off from this blessing. Now, you should have received in your bulletin this morning a little membership card. I should have made it bigger so it doesn't fall out on the floor. If it fell out on the floor, it's on the desk on your way out. We want to make sure that our church membership roles are current. If you're a member at this church, feel free to put your name or your family's name down and just check I'm a member. If you're like somewhere in the midst of this, this transition between one to two churches, I don't even know if I am a member of Cornerstone Church. You can check that box. If you have no interest in membership, if my case today was unsatisfactory to your evaluation of Scripture, feel free to check I'm not interested in membership. I won't hound you or show up at your door and make the case a second time. But it's just good to know who I'm not going to be battling with. If you would like more information on membership, click that box. Check that box. And if you want to be a member of a community, of a joy preserving community at Cornerstone Church. I want to be a member. And when we do membership um, meeting here in August, we would love for you to be a part of it. So that's my call to you today, my call for you today. Put them in the giving box right outside um, the exit doors as you leave. If you're listening in the parking lot, we can come and pick those up from you. But we'd love for you to be part of our body here at Cornerstone Church. Bow your heads with me. Father God, we are the bride of Christ. We're the bride. May we see you as the groom. And may we see ourselves not simply as individuals. But may we begin to see ourselves corporately as you do. You've placed us in our community so that our giftings may be extended. And Lord, may we as an elder board empower our community for ministry. May we empower and strengthen the gifts that you've given us in this church. 
And Lord, we pray for those who do not yet know you in our community. That as we use our gifts, as we spur each other on to ministry outside these walls, that we would gain many new members. And we would never feel like we've arrived as a church. We've, we've got enough. We're capped off. But we'd always be looking for the parts of the body that we feel like we're missing. So that your glory can be extended into this community, into our state, and to the very edges of the world. Your son's name I pray. Amen.